the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. If you were reading, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before his shearers, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from earth. If you're reading that the very first time, you may have asked the same question that a man asked. He was from Ethiopia, and he asked a man, he says, is he talking about himself or someone else? Well, this is the question, and it changed a man's life. Welcome to Exploring the Word. This is Bertie and Alex Weaver today, and we're in the book of Acts, and we're in chapter 8, and it starts with Philip, uh, a, a, a one of the seven that was chosen uh, to serve tables, but he did more than that. Man, he was out preaching the Word of God. And so today we want to hear what God used him and how he used him to change a man's life and would also probably change a country. Those of you that know a little bit of history. Again, thank you for listening to Exploring the Word. Alex, Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9, they are pivotal chapters in the book of Acts. Uh, We're introduced to Stephen and Philip in chapter 6, but we see their ministry in chapter 7 and 8. And then in chapter uh, 7, we see a man called Saul introduced to him. And in chapter 9, we see his life turned around. These are some of the significant chapters in the book of Acts. All of them are, but these are pivotal, I would say. Well, exactly. And, you know, don't you love it when um, you see something in the book of Acts that's an evangelistic circumstance, and it reminds us of our calling and our really privilege and duty to be ready always to help people find Jesus. Bert, when I read verse 30 and 31, Philip runs up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, and he asked him a question. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. In verse 31, the Ethiopian says, How can I unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And, of course, we know the story, how Philip shares the gospel and the man is saved. Bert, it reminds me one time on a Saturday, I had stopped into a Christian bookstore in Greensboro, North Carolina, and the uh, the lady that ran this Christian bookstore, she's in heaven now, but she pulled me aside and she said, there's a, a Japanese exchange student here, and uh, he has come and he's going to UNC, University of North Carolina, and he just has immersed himself in American culture and wants to learn about America, and he's got a question. So she leads me over to this Japanese man, I'm going to say he was 21, 22, an exchange student, and in very broken English, you're going to smile, Bert, when I tell you the question he asked me. He said, I've driven all around, toured, you know, a third of the country. There are churches everywhere, but how do you really know God? Wow. And uh, about 20 minutes later, he was praying to accept Christ. And even through broken English and language barriers, this Japanese man 
uh, accepted Jesus. And we ended up spending the next hour talking about, uh, he was explaining that he lived in a high-rise apartment. You know, uh, this part of Japan was so densely populated. And I gave him kind of a crash course in Discipleship 101, and I said, when you go home, you need to win as many people to Christ as you can. But I think about that when I read about Philip. Bert, I want to be like Philip. Don't you want to be like Philip, ready when when the opportunity comes to bring somebody to a personal relationship with Christ, you want to be able to do that. And because he was ready, God chose him. Now, we read all that, but some verses before that lets you know it says this in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Now, God knew what was happening in Jerusalem. God knew what was happening on this road, and God knew where Philip was. And what did God do? He told Philip, leave where you are and go down. I've got something for you there. Uh, does God? Let me ask you this, Alex. If you're ready and to share the good news of Christ, like you said concerning that Japanese gentleman, listen, he will put you in that position to be able to share the truth. And that's what he does with Philip. And so he tells, that's what he tells him to do. And guess what Philip did? He arose and went of all things. <laughs> obedience. He, he, obedience. He left a crowd where he was preaching to a group, a large group. Listen to verse 25. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching. They had been preaching all over, but he says, I've got one individual that I want you to go and speak to. One individual. But Alex, you never know what that one individual may result in. And uh, we find out when Missionaries were in Africa, and they went to Ethiopia, the first wave of people sharing, that there was people there already knowing and worshiping Jesus Christ. I think that Ethiopian eunuch did what you asked your friend from Japan to do when you told him to go back and win win as many as he can. Sounds Mm -hmm. like this Ethiopian eunuch did the same thing, brother. Well, you know, obedience becomes a habit. And and let me say, I want to read uh, verses 36 and following, but you want to make obedience a habit. Now, the first step of obedience is to turn to Christ and be born again. And the Bible says that we are to repent, believe, open our life to Jesus. He becomes not just our Savior, but our Lord, our leader, our master. And maybe today you're listening to this broadcast and God is dealing with you about a step of obedience in some area. And Bert, obviously salvation is, is the first step in our walk with the Lord to be saved. But um, throughout the Christian life, there will be countless steps of obedience the Lord calls on us to take. Now, as they travel along the road, okay, you know, Philip has read this Isaiah passage, and the eunuch says, tell me who this is. Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news of Jesus. That's verse 35. But they go along, and they see water. And the, the eunuch, he doesn't have to be begged or arm-twisted. He said, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized. And Philip says, nothing if you believe. So they go down there and get into the water. Philip baptizes him. Bert, one step of obedience 
prompts another step of obedience, and so on and so on. And for the Christian, and it's it's joyful, it's not burdensome at all, but to grow in the Lord and grow in the, the level of your commitment and obedience, that's the joy of the Christian life, isn't it? It really is, Alex. And, and this passage answers many things. I want to go over one or two. Obedience is so important, how God had Philip ready to give an answer of the question that the eunuch asked. But what about that eunuch? What brought him to Jerusalem? He was in Ethiopia. They had their own gods. They had their own way. But something drove him to seek further into this desire he had, and it brought him to Jerusalem. And at Jerusalem, he didn't get all of his answers Uh, questions answered, but he got some. He got a copy of the book of Isaiah. He was reading it. And when God saw this Ethiopian responding as much as he did, one step, two steps, three steps, guess what God did? God brought Philip to that place where this man could come to know the truth of Jesus Christ. Mm. I say that because I don't think this is an anomaly. I believe this is God at work and how he works. When a person or a group, they respond to God of creation, they they respond because they know in their conscience that there is a God who has made them, who has something for them. They know there's something inside of them that needs to be filled. I, I honestly believe God moves heaven and earth to get a person there to share with them the good news of Christ. So he brings Philip to be that person. And what you're saying and what I'm agreeing with you is, will God use us to be that individual that comes to a person uh, to answer questions? Alex, you know, our mine and Jan's oldest son, Nathan, worked five years in Atlanta, and most of the time it was with refugees. Many mm-hmm. of them were Muslims. And what would happen, and Nathan would share this, he, it happened more than one or two times. It was literally many times that there would be a dream that a Muslim would have, and it Mm. would be about a man that came to to deal with them in their sin, a man that could relieve them and deliver them. And then when Nathan and others would go to them and tell them about Jesus Christ, those people would respond and say, that was who my dream was about. It was about Jesus. So here is God doing everything on his part to meet that person where they are when they have an openness to knowing God and would follow him. I believe with all my heart this Ethiopian eunuch is an example of such a man. Well, amen, amen. And you know what? Uh, I've always thought about this. Now, it would be 14 more centuries before Johann Gutenberg would invent the printing press, right? Yes. So all Scripture. Now, at this point— you know, um, the New Testament has not completely been finished yet, and all of the Old Testament, uh, Genesis through Malachi, which a couple of centuries before the birth of Christ was translated into Greek. So there's Hebrew, there's Greek, but it's the same Word of God, but every copy is hand-copied, right? Yes. So it says that this eunuch, and he, you know, he was no doubt a political leader, and probably a person of means, but verse 28 says he's sitting in his chariot reading a copy of the book of Isaiah. Now, that is no small thing because the Isaiah's 66 chapters, and you and I have taught through it, it's wonderful, and, you know, it's almost like 
the Gospel of John of the Old Testament, but Isaiah is a substantial work. He had to have some money to buy or acquire, and he probably, maybe he commissioned it or maybe he bought it. But um, here's a person, I want to be clear, every soul matters to Jesus, everybody. But Philip is going to lead somebody, a person of influence and affluence, who's going to go home saved and is going to be in a position to make a big, big difference for the sake of the gospel. Am I right? You are exactly right. And that's why this is pivotal. It's going further into that nation, reaching a whole different group of people. And that's what happens in the book of Acts. You see him reaching the, the, at Pentecost, all the people there in the Roman Empire that were Jews. And then in Samaria and later on in Ephesus, we see him reaching everyone. But here he reaches down to this man from Ethiopia. And when we come back, we're going to see how God, I I think miraculously got him there, but definitely how God miraculously let Philip be taken away. And uh, so you don't want to miss this as you stay tuned for more of Exploring the Word. We've all searched for the light of day in the dead of night. We've all found ourselves worn out from the same old fire. We've all run to things we know just ain't right. And there's a better life. There's a better life. You got pain. Oh, Jesus is the pain taker, the chain breaker, the savior, the friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's Jesus. We hope you know him. We hope there's been that moment when you've asked Christ into your heart because he is the joy of all joys, and he's coming soon. I do believe it. Well, we're in Acts chapter 8. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Alex and Bert, so honored that you're listening. Hey, jot this number down. We're going to take phone calls in a, in a while, and if you've got a Bible question, we would love to hear from you. The number is 888 888- 589-8840, Well, Bert, uh, Philip has led a soul to Christ, and that first step of obedience, believer's baptism. So uh, let me read something here. Uh, verse 37, Philip says, If you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized. And the eunuch answers and says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Wow. Uh, I, I've got something I want to bring out in verse 39, but Bert, could there be a more significant, more consequential thing for a human to say, like the Ethiopian, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Bert, nothing else is more important than somebody believing that and and making that step of, of trust. It is absolutely essential for your spiritual life that Jesus Christ is the very Son of God. He came and fulfilled the Father's purpose for him. And this Ethiopian eunuch says, I believe. And we're going to get later on in the book of Acts where a Philippian jailer, just about as opposite of the Ethiopian eunuch you could get. And he and Paul said, if you believe, you can be saved. And he did. And so, Alex, this is it. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so they commanded the chariot to stand still. Both Philip and eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. And I'm telling you, what a time that was. What a glorious uh, time that was. And it said, now, when they had 
come up, they came up out of the water, it says that the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. What a thing. Let's stay with the Ethiopian eunuch before we get on to Philip being caught away, Alex. He went away rejoicing. I was reading some commentaries about that, and they said the rejoicing comes from the indwelling Holy Spirit. Uh, You know, when did the Spirit come in to him? I believe the Holy Spirit was there with him, the indwelling Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation, and he went away. What? Rejoicing. It makes me think of some of the people that Jesus would heal over in the Gospels, and they went away thanking God for all that he had done. So this Ethiopian eunuch, life was turned around, and what happens? His life is filled with joy. Uh, That's what we want all the people who are listening today. Is your life filled with the joy of Jesus Christ in your life through the indwelling of the Spirit of God? Let me tell you, it's, it's a joy unspeakable and full of glory, isn't it, Alex? Well, it, it really is. It really is. And, uh, you know, I just, I'm looking at these words on paper. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Acts 8.37. That's what we want to be said of everybody listening. I mean, there's no, nothing else. You could live to be 100 and recite the works of Shakespeare, but the most important thing you could ever say <laughs> and believe is that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, this is fascinating, folks. Verse 39, when they were come up out of the water, Philip baptized this brand new believer. The Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Now, in the English Bible, it'll say caught away. In the Greek, it's a rather unique word, harpazo. It's like H-A-R-P-A-D-Z-O, harpazo. So, uh, maybe you've heard a preacher preach on this, because that is also found in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, Amen. 17. <laughs> For, now, people ask, do you really believe in the rapture? I do. I, I believe the next event in the prophetic timetable, there's going to be the catching away. The church will be translated into the presence of Jesus, meeting the Lord in the air. There'll be seven years of tribulation here on earth. Uh, The Antichrist and his minions will rise. There'll be the Battle of Armageddon. At the end of the seven-year tribulation, Jesus will return uh, victorious, vanquishing the Antichrist, and there'll be a thousand years of peace on earth. That's called the millennium. At the end of the thousand-year millennium, eternity proper is ushered in. But People will say, well, the word rapture, which is a Latin word, it means to catch away, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Well, the word Bible is not in the Bible. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. The word grandfather is not in the Bible. But rapture, Trinity, Bible, grandfather, those are all valid concepts. Okay, the word harpazo, which means it says Philip was caught away. Yeah. Uh, tran- you can say translated, snatched away. That's the very same word, very same root in First Thessalonians four seventeen. That's a very famous rapture passage. So, let let me just say this, um, and I, I don't mean to digress and get into Bible prophecy ne- necessarily, but a lot of people. Um, they're, they are born-again believers. I'm not saying they're not believers. They are. But there are a lot of born-again Christians that um, either 
kind of innocently or maybe even smugly say, well, there is no such thing as rapture. That word's not even in the Bible. Well, if 1 Thessalonians 4, 17 doesn't refer to God catching away, then are you going to also reject Acts 8, 39, because it's the same word, to, to catch away? Bert, I, I really think this translating, one minute Philip is there, the next moment he's not, maybe that's similar to what happened to Enoch and Elijah. It, it is. It just That's exactly what I was thinking. It's the Old Testament. But here, they were caught up into heaven and died. With Philip, it was translated from one place to another place. But Correct. he was still caught up. And, and really, they were translated from one place to another place, but it wasn't the second place wasn't on earth. When we are translated or caught up, as you said in First Thessalonians, we're going to be caught up with the Lord to be where he is, that wherever he is, that's where we'll be also. But here he is caught up. And I, I just got to say the miraculous. I, I believe with all my heart, Alex, if there's a searching soul somewhere that's come this far and like the Ethiopian eunuch, knowing there is a God, he was a God-fearer, he came to Jerusalem because he was looking for the one God. Who is this one God? He came to mm. Jerusalem. He found the book of Isaiah. He purchased it. He started reading it. And what did God do? He moved mm. in his man to share him the truth. Uh, God will do miracles on a person's Amen. behalf to let them hear the good news of Jesus Christ. The good thing about it is Philip was ready and he was willing because you got to go back, I believe, in verse 27. After Philip's heard what God wanted him to do, he arose and went. On the getting there, it shows him laboring to get there. He had to walk there. He had to go there. But when it was time for him to leave, God just says, man, you've obeyed me. I'm going to make this trip back to where you need to go a lot easier. <laughs> mm. so, well, so I'm going to transplant you from here to there, and he did. Well, you know, you mentioned verse 27, which is just so full of meaning. Um, the man of Ethiopia, a man of great authority under Candace, the queen, who had charge of all of her treasure. Okay, the eunuch had come to Jerusalem Amen. for to worship. Just like the three wise men who came, they said, we're searching for the king of the Jews. We have seen his star in the east, and we've come to Jerusalem to, to worship him. Uh, Bert, it's been said that when you accept and you respond to the light you have, more light will be given. Amen. You know? And and I, again, we've mentioned this book hundreds of times, but you ought to read, folks, and you better have a box of Kleenex because your heart will be stirred perhaps to tears by Don Richardson, Eternity in Their Hearts, the story of people who have cried out and said, God, whoever you are, if you'll tell us, we'll follow you. And they heard of Jesus. And uh, let me say this. Uh, if you want to find Jesus, you can. Uh, anybody that wants Jesus will find him. I really do believe that. I do too. And I again, I don't think this is an anomaly. I think this is an ad operation, a pattern of how God operates and makes it available to those who are suited truly seeking him. And God wasn't through with Philip. He took him to, is it Asotus, whatever that, how you say I that? Know, I but was wondering how to But it's Ashdod. I, let me go back to the yeah. Old Testament. Now I'll go back to the Ash. It is Ashdod. You'll find that on the map. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. 
listen, this uh, this Philip was a preaching dude. I, I don't know how else to say it. Amen. Uh, no matter where he was, he was going to tell people about Jesus. And and if you read the history of Caesarea, he probably settled there. That may have been where God finally let him uh, not only just be an evangelist, but now he becomes a discipler, an evangelist of discipleship. And so God used Philip in a great way. And we come to chapter 9, and we find somebody that's been introduced to us before, and we find out God's not through with him either, Alex. And Saul, yet <laughs> breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. And Saul desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, okay, those of the way, that's believers, right? So Saul says, hey, give me some permission, give me a, a document that I can show if I need to, that if I, on my way to and in Damascus, if I find anybody of the way, whether they be men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Okay, a couple things we got to say here. Saul is plotting out, Bert, you know, Saul is famous, Paul, the apostle Paul is famous for his missionary journeys. But right here, Saul of Tarsus is plotting a persecution journey. And little does he know his carefully crafted plan to stop the church and the, the route he's mapped out for himself. It's going to result not only in the growth of the church, but his own conversion. Isn't this something? Uh, you meant it for evil. God turned it into something good. He really does. Now, I want to share this with you. It, it is powerful. In the book of Philippians, Paul tells what kind of person he was. Uh, he's, he's telling them about the power of the resurrection, and he's saying, this is what I was before I met Christ. And notice what he says here concerning this. This is in Philippians chapter 3, and he talked about it. For we are the circumcision, talking about those that have had the old cut away and the new has come. We rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I am more so. If anyone could have confidence in what they were and anything that they could do on their own, I, man, I, I top them all. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Now, Alex, that's exactly, at this point in time, he he thinks he is doing the will of God. The, he, uh, he, he, this, the way that's come in, he, hasn't, he doesn't believe it. They're, he, they're trying to take away Judaism, and he is doing everything he can to protect Judaism away from these people who are, are discarding it, who is uh, corrupting it. And so his zeal is real, and that's, oh, that's, yeah. that's where we find him, and that's why he did what he was doing here in Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9. Bert, there's a video on YouTube. Uh, I don't recommend anybody watch it, but it's a, of a man saying that um, the most important human that ever lived, the most significant consequential life ever lived was Charles Darwin. Oh. And, and the interviewer, just indignant, it's not a Christian show, by the way, but the interviewer goes, really? Uh, more important than even, even Jesus? And this deluded scientist goes, oh yes, oh yes. Uh, in, in a way, 
Charles Darwin was more a savior even than Jesus, says this poor soul, because Darwin showed us the truth of evolution, he said, which is crazy. Now, the world might have their idea of significant lives. Darwin, give me a break. Uh, Evolution is false. But I want to tell you, in Acts 9, uh, really, the top ten most important events in world history, really the truly important events, can only be delineated in terms of the gospel. And what we're going to see, Bert, is one of the most significant actions in the history of the world, because Saul of Tarsus, a a Hebrew of Hebrews, he will take the gospel to the Gentiles. In fact, Bert, I think, you know, James Kennedy, by the way, you ought to read James Kennedy's wonderful book, uh, What If Jesus Had Never Been Born, Right. That, that really history itself, Old and New Testament and the present age, history has absolutely been shaped by the coming of Jesus, the promise of Jesus. Well, we're going to see uh, something... We, we are still riding on the ripple effect of Saul's conversion, aren't we? We really are. And, and notice what he says uh, as he journeyed. He came near Damascus. He was on his way. He was looking for those men and women. Some of them were probably in Jerusalem, and they escaped persecution there and gone to Damascus. And now he was on, they were on his most wanted list. That's what mm-hmm. he was doing, and he was going after them. And he was going to bring them back to Jerusalem so they could be stoned there. But suddenly, a light shone around him from heaven. We're going to talk about that light tomorrow. You don't want to miss tomorrow. As Alex said, it's one of the most dramatic one of the events in all of history. Well, we're going to take phone calls, and that number is 888-589-8840. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. In Acts 9, verse 6, Saul of Tarsus asked the right question, Lord, Lord, what would you have me to do? Well, I hope you've asked that question because what God would have you to do is give your heart to Jesus and then grow and spend your life experiencing all the blessings that come with being a Christian. Well, this is Exploring the Word on the American Family Radio Network. Hey, here's the number if you've got a Bible question. We'd love to hear from you today. 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. Bert and I, Bert, I just want to say this to all the callers, because last week, especially on Friday, we had so many good calls, really, really great questions from all over America. I just want to say thank you, because I really can tell a lot of the people, they pray for us, they call in, they've got Bible questions, and we just feel so privileged to have this big family of people who come together five afternoons a week for a Bible study. We do, Alex. And we we get emails, we get it on Facebook that Brent lets us hear about that people say, man, I'm really growing in the Lord thanks to exploring the Word. And after you get saved, that's what you want to do, grow in the Lord. And so we're glad people are listening and people are calling. So the first phone call today is from the great state of North Carolina, and it's Eddie. Welcome, Eddie. Thank you uh, for taking my call. 
Uh, I don't really have a question, but in a, in a sense I do. But when I was uh, I'm, I was born in 1940, and uh, when I was about 10 years old, my my grandmother gave me a book called The Rapture by Ernest Ainsley, which talked about the rapture and tribulation. Mm-hmm. Well, for the next 25 years, I I feared that. I've just had that fear in me. But anyway, in 1975, uh, I had a I heard a trumpet uh, during about 2.30 in the morning in March. And and when I heard that trumpet, all I could think of was rapture. And I hit the floor screaming. And all I could think of was, was if I if the rapture is taking place, my little son is gone. And I ran around the house and couldn't find him. And when I finally found him, I fell to my knees. I did not say a prayer, but I knew in my heart that I believed. My whole life was changed after that. And I guess the thing was that, to me, I, was, I believed in my heart, but later I confessed it with my mouth at the church. So I, I, don't, really, I don't think I really have a question. Eddie, testimony, mm-hmm. listen, amen. So I, let me say this. God can use many things, like the sound of a trumpet, trumpet at the right time to call to our memory. Something that we've heard in the past, something. And let me give you an example of that. How about Jesus telling Peter about the rooster crowing? And when he heard that rooster crow, crow, it made Peter remember. So, Alex, God God can use, uh, I, I would say, things in nature and things that come to our way to remind us of how we need to get right with God and better do it now, hadn't we? Absolutely. You know, I love uh, Christianity in America, and he mentioned the book uh, Raptured by Ernest Angley. Do you know what? I got that book when I was a young believer, and, and the book came out decades and decades ago, but I was at a, a second-hand store, and I think I got that book for about a quarter. And what's really interesting is everybody knows the Left Behind series by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins, but really, even way before they put Bible prophecy into understandable story form. Ernest Angley had done it uh, probably 80 years ago, and that book, Raptured, it's it's kind of dated, I suppose, but it, it's based on biblical truth, and uh, I'm glad to hear that the caller uh, came across that book when he was a, a young person. But folks, um, a lot of people have preached it, a lot of people are preaching it today, but it's Bible fact that Christ is coming back, and we need to be ready. He said, you'll see him come, and he, I go to prepare a place for you, he said, and if I go away, I'm going to come again. And uh, so you got to be ready. Hey, that number, 888 589 Let me do it again. I stumbled all over that number. 888 589 and lines are open. But while we're waiting for more calls, let's go to Arkansas and talk to Jim. Welcome, Jim. Hey, how you doing, sirs? Doing well, here's thank you. Welcome. Here's, here's what I've, here's what I've got. Logically, take logic. How in the world logically can anything make the earth and the heavens except God? How is this possible? <laughs> How do people think that logically? We should be here. Uh, God bless you. Amen, Jim. Go ahead, Alex. 
Uh, well, brother, I'm with you because uh, the a- atheism and evolutionism are the two most unreasonable, illogical, in fact, I would say delusional things. Okay, look, uh, atheism says something came from nothing, and without any intelligence or any blueprint or anything, chaos was the mother of order. And the complexity, animal life, plant life, human life, the solar system, which operates with the precision of a fine timepiece, and matter made up of, you know, uh, matter and then electrical forces that hold it together, electrons, protons, that are so precise and measurable that all of this fine-tuning and this just uh, incomprehensible complexity came about by accident. It's crazy. Amen. It is. That's why. That is why Almighty God. Well, it's one thing to be sinful. It's one thing to be disobedient. It's one thing to be stiff-necked. But God says this of atheists: "You're a fool. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God." Bert, uh, I might not be the sharpest knife in the drawer, but look, I know somebody made this universe, and that that creator was God. Amen. Uh, two or three things. Let me just say them real quickly. Evolution is not a science. It's a philosophy. The philosophy mm. is anything but God, even foolishness. And that's where mm. they are. As the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Uh, when you read the book of Romans and you see where they get, they do not glorify God as God, neither were thankful, but they became vain in their imaginations and their foolish hearts were darkened and they started worshiping anything but God. I'm putting that translation on it. And so that's where it is. And I, I'm telling you, uh, evolution is based upon, uh, you know, I, I, I believe Frank Turek when he said, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, he could also say, don't have enough to be an evolutionist. It is just not, it, it's foolishness. Hey, Jim, right on, brother. Keep it up. Thank you for calling. Let's go to Virginia. Heather, welcome. Thank you. Um, just wanted to thank you guys for what you're doing and um, listen to you for a while, and I just really think it's very important, and I'm grateful for what you do. Thank you, Heather. Um, Bless you. My Bible my Bible question was about God's command to not kill um, and then based against, you know, in the Old Testament, so often the Israelites are told to kill. And I know some would say that God never changes and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, but then there's, I, as I've thought it through, it's like I don't think it's right for any individual to say, well, God directly told me to kill so-and-so today. So was there any distinct differentiation between, you know, Okay, Heather, you we, know, just, yeah. good question. Alice, let me start off with one thing. The commandment is thou shalt not murder. That right, is right. the word. Thou shalt not murder. It kill is, yeah, murder is killing, but the, the very word is murder. So yes, Heather, and Alex will take it further. There is a difference in that. And also concerning warfare. Uh, honestly, what they were doing was warfare. Alex, go ahead. Well, you know, imagine that you've got a tool and you lend it to your neighbor. And um, neighbor says, hey, can I borrow your your push mower? And you say, sure, keep it. You can keep the push mower, but whenever I need it, I'm going to come get it. And uh, you can keep it until I come and call for it. 
And so the, the person says, all right. So you have the right as the owner. You gave it, and it's within your prerogative to come and call it in because you owned it all along. That's what life is. Uh, Bert, I was out in California a few years ago, and I was with a lot of college students, and some of the college students said that they didn't believe in God because in the Old Testament, God told Israel, kill the Canaanites, and how could God commit all those murders? And I asked them, I said, can God commit murder? And they said, well, of course, because he took all those lives, Philistines, Amorites, Canaanites. I said, look, life is, belongs to God all along. God gives life. It's his prerogative when to call it in. So God God couldn't commit murder. But here's the thing. In calling on the Old Testament battles, here's the key word, folks. God had a morally sufficient reason to, for one, virtually all of the battles were Israel defending itself. And so uh, people and nations have the right to self-defense. So if, if, a, if a death occurs in the course of self-defense, that wasn't murder. It might have been killing, but it wasn't murder. But here's the thing. Bert, what would be worse for a couple of hundred thousand pagans who had 400 year, 420 years to repent, but they wouldn't? What's worse, for several hundred thousand pagans to die or for the human race not to have a Savior? Well, that's an easy call. We need a Savior. We're desperately yeah, exactly. for them. And they had they had opportunity to turn to God. And I think that goes along with what we were talking about today. Here's this Ethiopian. And down in, in Ethiopia, come to Jerusalem to worship, and God got the message to him. The other example, I would say, is Rahab. When they were taking Jericho, Rahab had faith in God. Guess what? Her life was saved. So, yes, God does intervene. And for those that were there, that if they had trusted the Lord, God was, I believe with all my heart, was ready to intervene even in all the warfare. So thank you, Heather. We hope that gives you an answer. Let's go to let's go to Mark. Let me see. Yeah, Mark in Arkansas. Welcome, Mark. Yes. How you doing? Doing well, man. Doing well. Um, after after Jesus was resurrected, he appeared to Mary, and Mary. I uh, don't know how how close they were, but but Jesus said, "Don't touch me because I haven't ascended to the Father yet." But then la- later on, he he, he uh, Thomas wanted to touch him to prove that to prove that it was Jesus by touching the the nail scars in his hands and Jesus said put your put your hand in my side if if you need that much proof do that so what what happened there in between that time okay mark thank you really if you read what was told mary the the wording is do not cling to me uh do mm-hmm. not cling to me it's not down by oh touch you It was a different wording. Alex, take it away. Yeah, that's in John 20, verse 17. And Bert is absolutely right. You know, I had that question when I was a young believer. Uh, Touch me not is how the King James renders it. But in the Greek, it's really like you can't keep clinging to me because I'm going to ascend. So they and Luke 24, Jesus said, touch me. You'll see that the spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. So they could touch the 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 risen Jesus, but in the John twenty seventeen, he was essentially saying, uh, "I know you're glad to see me, but you can't keep clinging to me yep. because I'm going to ascend to the Father." 
Okay, we hope that helps, Mark. Let's go to South Carolina, right below North Carolina, if I can get my cursor on there, and go to Marty. Welcome, Marty. Yes. Hey, Bert, how are you doing today? Fantastic, man. Um, Good to hear from this, you. We had we had a visitor real quick. We had a visitor at church yesterday. He was a Palestinian. Uh, he's lived in America for many, many years, but he was talking to us about how the people in Israel treat the Palestinians and I guess there's a lot of things that we're not aware of, like uh, their access to health care. They're, they're basically treated like third-class citizens. And my question is, where do we stand as Christians um, in accordance with the Word that uh, how should we look at that? Should we, you know say it's okay for the Israeli people to treat them that okay. way? or Good question, Marty. I'm cutting you off because time will get away, and that's a good question. It'll take a little longer than we want. Let me just share with you, from my experience of being there, let me give you this. And, Alex, then you take it away. I'll do it real quickly. When I was in Israel, every time we saw the Isra- Jewish children out on a field trip, we found out they had to have armed guards keeping them safe, not from other Jews, but from those that were militant Palestinians, militant Palestinians, not all Palestinians. We would see Palestinian children out playing in a group, playing or in a group, and they didn't have to have armed guards because there was no threat to them, Alex. Uh Sometimes, I'm not saying all Palestinians have have it easy. There's some difficulty there, but we stand for Israel's right to exist, don't we? That's true. Uh, And let me say this. It is true that there have been violence and, I don't want to say abuses necessarily. Look, the, the animus between Arabs and Jews goes back centuries, but really... Um, by historical precedent, by divine right, by the fact that the the Jews were in the land of Israel 3,500 years before the birth of Muhammad and the birth of Islam. Look, the land of Israel and Israel's right to exist is a fact. It belongs to Israel. And I'm sorry that sometimes the Palestinians are subjected to the rule of law and even violence, but, but the Arabs are the aggressors, Bert. Yeah. The Arabs are the aggressors. The people that I found out talking with that have it as difficult as anybody there in Israel are Palestinian Christians because the Palestinians that have the money coming to them, they don't give it to them. They give it to the Arab Palestinians. And, yes, there are some difficulties, but it's not just from the Israel. It's from other Palestinians as well, Alex. So that was my what I observed. Listen, we're going to be back in Acts chapter 9 tomorrow, and we want all of you that are listening to join us, tell others about it, but all of us tell others about Jesus. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.